0: It's Ross of the Robots. All this and more on This Week in Retro.
1: High-resolution colour graphics. This land of high technology.
2: The revolution in technology that made the information age possible.
3: Those kids are not afraid of
1: computers. Bombs away. The commodore And
0: Outrun for Sale. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello chaps. It is episode uh, 98. We're so close to the big 100 and we've got a special guest with us today. It's Ross of the Robots, who um, viewers of my channel might recognise as the the world's foremost collector of Rise of the Robots games. Is
3: that a fair way of introducing you, Ross? (laughs) You know what? I I came on this podcast wanting to to expand on my character, show a bit more, you know, a bit more behind the behind just Rise of the Robots. But here I am sitting in a Rise of the Robots t shirt, introduced as Rise of the Robots, with those behind me. So yeah, I think that's probably fair, Neil. Yes, thank you. Yes. You're gonna have
0: to work hard to shake this reputation now. Um it, since you came to the cave and showed off your collection, I mean, are you at a point in your Rise of the Robots collection where you're at a stop now and you're happy with everything you've got, or are you still picking things up
3: you know i still pick things up when i see them if i can i I, like i said on the uh on the uh, the, on your channel then i have only got a few more things to complete the collection as such but those are the really expensive ones and as much as i like rise of the robots i don't really want to be spending big bucks on um (laughs) a game gear game and stuff like that so yeah Yeah. but thanks to Neil, i will just show this this turned up Uh, eventually the um press pack that neil kindly sent to me (laughs) so that's as an integral part of my collection now, so I am, want to put that on the podcast. I'm eternally grateful for you sending that to me also. Thank you for that, yes.
0: Excellent. Eventually being the operative word, because it did take me far too long to get over to you, but it's there now. The hell, so. Real life the, gets the, in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> the collection is slightly larger. Um, so, uh, guys, let's just have a catch-up with you. Uh, Chris, what have you been up to this week?
1: Uh, well, really, my update is about one of the pieces that we did last week, the, um, the Quake engine, if you want to call it that. For the spectrum um there was actually a comment it was in russian so i had to translate it from dragon's lord who's one of the guys involved and he says Hi guys, let me remind you that the game Quake is not intended for viewing at 3.5 MHz. It is being developed for 14 MHz and can work at 7 MHz. With slight simplifications and digression, the game supports Kempston Mouse to get full control of the first-person shooter. There is a jump. You can change the direction of view up and down in in general in any direction because this is a real full-fledged 3D. All unit models are 3D with real-time surface texturing with 16x16 textures in five shades. Besides Quake, I also released an Elite demo on the same engine, and you can check it out. Um, There's videos on YouTube. And he goes on to say, moreover, the game exists in a Spectrum 48K version as well. Um, True, it will not have the beautiful background and textures on the models, but otherwise, it is fully functional. Amazing. Dave?
2: Yeah, just to clarify for listeners who perhaps aren't aware, three and a half megahertz is the default speed the normal speed of of mm. all of the spectrum range so seven megahertz it is, is not the speed they would normally run at and 14 of course is is even faster yeah i think I'm, that I'm... might be the speed of the the next i'm not sure but that may be speed yeah. of the next
1: or the or the um, some of the clones that are used in in that part of the country, yeah. I think as well. Uh, yeah. And we did we did yeah. mention that it was aimed at seven and fourteen, but the footage that we showed on the YouTube version was footage I captured in emulation, uh, showing both seven and three point five. So that's probably why right. That so it. Quite, so fairly, you've, you've,
0: quite fairly, quite fairly. Even smoother again, and the, oh, it also mm. confirms that observation I made, which was was that character that we saw bouncing around fully texture mapped, and mm. according to this, they were so texture yeah. mapped ZX Spectrum Quake engine, all Fantastic the more impressive. Work. Dave, I believe you have a little bit of housekeeping as is now becoming tradition with you at the start of the show, cleaning up
2: our mess. I, d- I do, I do, I do. <laughs> um, so um, we appear to have fixed the visual quality issues with Neil. Um, now, don't tell anyone, but he uses a green screen. Don't tell any of the viewers, but he uses a green screen so he can record at home. And Duncan and Neil have finally worked out a solution to the stuttery video, and by the looks of it, it's one that they can sustain. So viewers should be pleased about that. Now, on to adverts, and I'm sorry that I need to mention this. I, I feel it kind of takes us away from the, the whole point of the relaxed show, but um, we have been opted into our platform Podbean's advertising program for some months without any being offered. Four weeks ago, they offered us one and we accepted. Many of you will have heard it. Initially, the ad caused some problems for people and they couldn't listen to the podcast or on Spotify, etc. Um, we were keen not to opt out of the programme because we wanted a way to cover the costs, etc. So we stayed in and we contacted them and asked them to fix it and they assured us that they had. However, on Saturday, we had a discussion. Uh, where we'd more or less decided to leave the programme um, because we'd had a few pieces of uh, feedback from viewers and it wasn't just um, negative stuff about the problems that the ad had caused, it was just about the ad in general. And then we noticed a one-star review on iTunes which kind of underlined the decision for us. Um, it says the podcast was a, a nice, friendly, inoffensive treat every week. The new advertising for the last couple of weeks is jarring, obnoxious and out of place and ill-considered. So... Uh, it goes on and, and we can't really argue with it because uh, listening back to it myself, that's what I felt as well, Neil.
0: Yeah, I've always listened back and it sounds a bit self-indulgent to listen back to your own podcast. But I do listen back to it from time to time just to get to a feel for how how it's going and sometimes to listen to you guys again. Because when we're recording, you know, you've got one eye on your notes, you're chatting you kind of forget about what you've chatted about, and it's nice to go back and listen sometimes. But I've always done that through YouTube with YouTube Premium, so I don't hear the adverts. So as soon as I heard these things were popping up and just really jarring, they had to go. The quality of the show comes above everything else. So we do apologise if we um, caused your ears some discomfort um, with some what sounds like quite brash adverts, were they, Dave?
2: They were, yeah. And I think initially I was more focused on the 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 problems that they were causing on Spotify to really think, hang on, is the advert itself uh, a problem? Yeah. But in any case, we opted out of Podbean's advertising program on the 5th of November, so no adverts from them at all. If we ever do enlist again, which I think is very doubtful, we will listen to the ads before we accept them. we will not accept any unless we think they're pleasant listening. Um, and I think, to add insult to injury, the total that Podbean has paid us for those four weeks of adverts is less than $10. <laughs> so all that for less than $10, which is, I think, is the, uh, yeah. Um, Lesson learned. So we will Lesson seek out, learned. Yeah. We will seek out a sponsor, and we will make sure there's something we really do believe in, or we won't have one, because the whole point of this podcast is a little bit of enjoyment for people, and we can't lose sight of that and ruin it with nasty ads. So I am sorry for those whose listening experience has been impacted, and I hope that you will stay with us. Ross. Ross.
3: I think um, just wanted to come in here as, as a listener in previous weeks and now a, a special guest, and um, that's a brilliant decision you made there. Um, I, I did notice the adverts in a um, couple of the episodes, and whilst they were, didn't take me out of the, the podcast completely, I did think they were a little bit unnecessary and a little bit jarring. You are right, but I think you made a brilliant decision, decision there, guys, so hats off to you. Excellent. Well, instant feedback. Thank, Thank you, Ross.
0: you, Ross. On with the show. Right, strap in, guys, the first story. Oh, I'm so happy to see this news. It was posted on the subreddit by Doctor Local, and it was under the headline, Neil's B17 VR wish comes true. It is, of course, a morsel of news that comes out of Microprose about their B17 game. That game being the one that I bang on about at every opportunity because I really, really, really want to know what's going on with the development of it. So, I'll give you a little bit of background information on this game, B17. It was published by Microprose, it developed originally by um, a, pub, a, a developer called Vector Graphics back in 1992 for MS DOS. It appeared in '93 on the SD and Amiga. And, um, well, if you think about the time this came out, 1990 was when the movie Memphis Bell was released. So that was fresh in everyone's mind. And the game kind of followed the same premise. You had a crew, you had a B-17 flying fortress, you had 25 missions to carry out to complete your tour of duty and make it back home. And of course, historically, few ever made it that far, made it all the way to 25. Such was the danger of driving what I guess is the sky equivalent of a double decker bus over enemy territory. There was um, the, the odds were certainly stacked against them. But this double-decker bus is armed to the teeth. It's manned by a crew. And this is where it all makes for an interesting game, because as the player in this original game, you got to control any of the crew members in the plane at any time. And um, while you were doing that, the other crew members were AI-controlled. So you might want to be the pilot to do the exciting bit of taking off and landing or to navigate through some flak. You might want to be the rear gunner as fighter squadrons descend on you or the bombardier when it's time to drop the bombs. Um, whatever the you wanted trolley. to do, you could. The drinks trolley. You could. You could do the drinks trolley and just shuffle down the plane. Yeah, uh, crew members could be injured. Uh, you could tell them to adhere first aid on one another. You could swap the positions of the crew members. So if one was injured, you could make the rear gunner the bombardier. But of course, they're less experienced at that job, so they're going to be less accurate. You know, there's this whole crew management aspect of the game, which I think is fantastic. And it's on your shoulders to um, complete the missions and get them safely home. Now, the reason that I really love this game is because it balances out some of that often soulless flights in world, empty flights in world, if you like, with those crew members and the the character of the crew members. In that respect, it feels a bit like cannon fodder um i think we all i think have we all played cannon fodder here we must have done except for ross because yep. he only plays rise of the robots and um <laughs> you you have to chris hasn't you, played it chris hasn't played it chris hasn't played <laughs> you, you, you get really attached to your characters in cannon fodder don't you and, and at the end of a mission they come over the hill and their names appear on the screen and you don't want them to turn into little gravestones on the hill well um it, it feels the same you get really attached to your crew members you can name them you can put yourself in the crew uh, and and the storyline, it also kind of, it's not as cinematic as Wing Commander, but it does have an element of storyline that evolves through the mission briefings with the wartime big band swing music playing and things like that. And you can design, can you design? You can choose the art that goes on the, the nose of your plane. I can't remember if you can design it yourself, but there's a selection you can put on there. Um, So you've got all that. And then on top of that, you've got the flight sim aspect of things, which does involve some quite epic moments like uh, you have a whole squadron of B 17s flying through the, the flak. Well, the one above you might have its wing torn off, it might spiral into the plane next to you, and they all go crashing down. And, you know, things like that can happen before you even make it to enemy territory. It's, it's for a flight sim, it can get quite exciting. But that's not to say it's perfect because there are also these periods of waiting when you need to just get to the next waypoint. There's a time skip feature to get there instantly, but I always feel like I'm cheating a bit when I use that. So you've got to to sort of balance it out. Um, So it's certainly not a perfect game, but um, I really enjoyed it. And I was delighted when a new improved sequel to it came out in the year 2000. This was by another developer called Wayward Design. Very much the same game, just better graphics. You know, you've got texture mapped graphics. It looked really pretty, but essentially the same game with the same strengths and weaknesses to it. Both of these games reviewed favorably, um, as I said, not without flaws, but I've, I've always considered the idea behind these games to be perhaps one of the best ideas I've come across in a video game, if it could be perfectly executed. So when I heard that Microprose were working on a new version of this game over a year ago, and that game would include both VR and online team play, I thought you've nailed it. You've taken that concept and you've perfected it. And It just sounds like the best game i've ever heard about or at least in a very long time so that's why i'm so excited about it we'll talk a bit more about it shortly but um dave let's just get your opinion are you are you bored yet of my b17 obsession while i keep bringing it up in the show
2: actually no no um first of all i I do like hearing people talk about the games they like i quite enjoy that um but secondly i'm faintly interested in it i think a couple of years ago when you first mentioned it to me Um, I said I'd quite happily get my VR headset on for a bit and be in your crew um, and probably let the team down. Um, And it looks as... I was going to ask if that's possible. From what you're saying, I don't see why not. It sounds as if I I can be on your B-17, maybe on the the rear machine gunner while you're flying it or something. Um, And I've not actually played B-17. I've not played it. By the time it came out, I'd be on the PC. And I wasn't really thinking much about flight sims. I was too far into X-Wing and uh, TIE Fighter shortly afterwards, I think. So um, this wasn't for me. But I do have a question. Will it have a nice, big, thick manual? And will it have a Mm. nice, big, thick manual? Because that's the whole... For me, that's what I liked about the flight sims, the whole immerse yourself in the manual, get yourself deeper into the Mm. game as a result of it. And it really helped hold the games up games with a manual help hold them up because it gives you a more immersive experience. It, 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 it helps your your brain fill in the gaps where the, the, the flights and misses it out. So how will they do that? Will they will they lose the the class? I mean they're not going to have a big manual. I'm certainly not going to have a big manual. I mean it'll be a, a digital download code. Um at most you'll get a, a DVD case with a code inside it. But how are they going to close that? Will that make it will that take away from it? Well, first of all, I've always thought you'd make a fantastic rear gunner,
0: Dave. Um, in terms of the manual, um, PDF, maybe? They might give you a PDF to download. Obviously, this is going to be digitally distributed. If pros of all people, don't spin up big box physical games, they are missing a trick because, you know, even a, a limited run would do them well, I think. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of
2: work involved around that. Like you say, fingers crossed, around. I mean... I hope, hopefully it's not what we've been getting recently with big box games that have been coming out where, I mean, the big box game of X-Wing that came out didn't have a manual in it. It was just a, it had a USB key and some trinkets and all the rest of it. And I looked at that and thought, what's the point of this?
0: Yeah, the manual is the key part. It's nice to have the extra feelies and things, but the manual is is mm. the heft of it that should be in there. Um, well, th- there is there is more news um, that's come from Microprose. I've been talking about the old games there, but I had an email from their PR company, as as well as this post from Dr. Local, with with some information. Not a lot, but some information. And Steam pages have appeared, just confirming that digital distribution method. But not just for one new game. Micropros are releasing four, yes, four B seventeen flying fortress games. <laughs> what are they playing at? Um, the games are titled B seventeen flying fortress, the bloody one hundredth. B seventeen flying fortress, redux. How, how do you say it? Is it? It's R E D U X. I never, I'm never
2: sure how you say that word. Is I've it, always heard it pronounced Redux, but redux. I, I, I've got a feeling that's that it it, it it shouldn't be that way, but it is. Mm. Yeah,
0: I've heard Redux too, yeah. Redux is perhaps an anglicised way of saying a a French word or something like that. Um, uh, They're bringing out a game called Bomber 3, and then they're bringing out a game called The Mighty Eighth VR. So we'll pick those apart.
2: Go ahead, Dave. Does that mean, and you're maybe going to say this, does that mean that only the last instalment will be VR? Well, that's the question, isn't it?
0: So uh, we'll pick them apart. Bomber 3... Um, is actually a a game that predates B-17. It was a HyperCard-based game on the Macintosh. Now, I've never played this. I I only came across this um, when I was just reading up on the background to these games. So that is a a retro revival in itself. Came out in 1990. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. And then when we look at all the other games, the screenshots are all of a detailed interior cockpit view. We're not seeing any action at this point. Um, But what I suspect, and it's just a pure guess uh, on my part at this point i suspect they've come up with this engine they've come up with these models and they're just going to use all the same assets to split out into three versions of the game or four even with uh different missions and then one game specifically tailored to vr which some might say is a shame um you know others might think they can save their pennies if they don't have a vr rig and they can save money by not having that in one package but you know, it would be a nice package. But then, if it's distributed on Steam, there'll be a package where you can buy them all together at a discounted price.
2: Whatever. Um, were you going to say something there, Dave? You you took a yeah, big inhale just, of just, breath. It's just modern. It's just the way that modern things work. You can't you can't sell something for thirty quid. You need to sell ten things for three quid. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, The Steam listing, which uh, it doesn't show a release date yet, says to be confirmed. It shows the Mighty 8th and the Bloody 100th to be single player games, while the VR one is listed as having online co-op as well as online PvP. And that's key. That's the key thing that could make this into the perfect VR experience. A team cramped into a B-17 carrying out the missions uh, with Dave on the rear guns. Ross, I'm assuming you've never played this because you only play that one game, but um, that's one game more than Chris has ever played. So tell us your <gasps> thoughts on this. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, sorry, Chris, I had nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, the actually B-17 Flying Fortress on the Amiga came out before Rise of the Robots, I believe. So I have actually played... Play b17 on the amiga um is that I've, how you denote things
2: instead of like bc and ad is you, you've got b r o t r exactly right yeah.
3: you know I, I was thinking how i could actually work that into the, the podcast but you've done it for me dave so thank you very much yeah oh sorry <laughs> no that's fine absolutely fine um but yeah the original b17 um i thought was a, a fantastic game my dad was big into to world war Two planes at the time and i remember having a an actual Humb- is it a Humbro model of a b-17 which still remains incomplete to this day um an but yeah. one. that's it Airfix, yes Air yeah um but um yeah the original b-17 i thought was a, a fantastic game and i remember playing it and dropping about the plane into different positions and and fighting um and taken a long time to get to where you needed to be with nothing happening, but as is the case with flight sims. But um, yeah, I I did enjoy it. And back to your your point on the manual there, Dave, I remember uh, my dad, um, because the the copy that we had from Amiga was... Slightly not legitimate, shall we say, as it <laughs> most were back in the day. Um, my dad took the uh, instruction manual to his work and spent a day photocopying the entire instruction manual for me. <laughs> so I came back with a big wad of A3 paper, <laughs> just, you know, stapled together so I could actually play, play the thing. But yeah, I, I loved B-17, Climb Fortress and the It was a fantastic game. And to play it in VR, like you'd suggest, you that sounds, well, that just sounds like... The future's come at once, isn't it? Really good. Yeah. Really uh, I've got to ask: When he
0: photocopied it, did it? Did he bind it in some way for you, or was it just loose pages?
3: Just loose pages. It was my just job to work pages. through it and staple together the relevant bits, and obviously couldn't do the whole lot in one go. And yeah, yeah, just loose pages. <laughs> Excellent, Chris.
1: I know you're a big flight sim nerd, so uh, tell us what your thoughts are on this. <laughs> oh yeah, you know how much I love a good flight sim and Micropros. I mean, back in the day, they were always a seal of quality. Yeah, I never played it. Not just for Flight Sims, they were similar quality
2: for loads of different things. They were. Simulations
1: as well. Especially simulations. But no, I never played B (laughs) seventeen. Also
2: simulations. Also. Oh dear. Oh dear. Uh, To be honest,
0: Chris, you can't beat yourself up about this one because
1: I don't know a huge number of people who played this one back in the
2: day. And it came quite
1: late in the Amiga's lifespan as well. So well, I guess it was available on PC. So there are no excuses. But I mean, on the topic of the the new re-release, especially with the VR multiplayer, I love the idea of multi multi-crew multiplayer uh in that co-op style i think that would be really interesting and that could be any kind of game you know whether it's a b-17 or a pirate ship or something big and killing yeah. elite elite dangerous i love the idea of having to man your stations and do your part to achieve success so yeah this sounds exciting yep. yeah and i think the formula
0: has been proven to be successful there was a star trek game a year or so back wasn't there where uh, mm-hmm. was it bridge crew something like that yeah. where everyone could play in vr so um i saw a lot of people in discord having fun playing that it seemed to be short-lived they played it you know had a lot of fun and then just dismissed it i'd like to think the b17 might have a bit more longevity in it um and in the modern day of uh, digital distribution perhaps uh, if it is super popular they can add additional missions and scenarios
1: and things like that uh, chris another uh, great example of that from the same stable is the the latest version of carrier command that's also multi-crew co-op um and you can man the different stations on the carriers which then means some of you might be flying the drones to go and attack a um, an island and what have you um the grim reapers a great youtube channel that, that you can see them playing it with people from all around the world fantastic
2: so when i asked last week neil have you played carrier command Two? what your there, was chris have you played carrier command Two? are you going to say something <laughs> about it
1: well, uh, that was there was a character command. You had the original carrier command, and then there was a character command two ages ago, and now now they went back to re-releasing carry oh, command, it, it, and that's it, the, the one I was on. meaning because and I now seen there's Dr. A, a recent command yeah. two as well. So when you it say either, really good. It's, which one do you mean, the old one or the new one? Got you. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, on B seventeen, I've requested an interview with the team via their press people, who replied and said that they would look into it. I seriously don't think any of the people involved are original Microprose or original um, Vector Graphics or the other company that developed the follow-up. You know, they're all new people, but uh, it'd be interesting to chat to them anyway to just see that they have that thread of passion and love for the original game and hopefully that will shine through in this remake. We will watch with interest. If I hear any more, of course, I'll let you all know and I will be watching the Steam page in anticipation.
1: Do you remember that crazy guy who built Earth? Theremin out of a Commodore 64, guys. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Wasn't too long ago, was it?
3: Well, yeah, that back. theremin. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Theremin, go on. Uh, yeah. Uh, actually, my, my wife bought me a theremin uh, last Christmas. Um, oh. Would you believe? Yeah. I'm quite musical. But uh, she actually took it back to the shops in October. She reckoned I never touched it. Oh,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who booked
2: this guy? <laughs> See? I approve. That, it's that's the... <laughs> Could you make it play the Star Trek Star Trek tune (laughs) I believe it was um, It was famous
1: for Star Trek Wasn't it
2: (laughs) Yeah it was it Chris Yeah Oh, don't, oh don't drum up the comment section again. Anyway, right. anyway.
1: <laughs> yes, sorry. Chris,
2: been corrected
1: sorry, on that one. So. Star
2: Trek and Star Trek and Star Trek Then
1: Anyway, look right. back to the story. The guy who put that together has been back to he's back to strangling cats again. Uh, and I say that in a loving way because I actually love this guy's work. So what has he turned useless American 8-bit machines into this time? An accordion. Nice. Yep. That wonderful air powered portable keyboard that only the French know how to love. Um, He's built one out of not one but two C64s, and the bellows, wait for it, are made out of five and a quarter inch floppy disks and some tape. You couldn't make this stuff up. Now, it it sounds like the most stupid thing ever, (laughs) (laughs) but you have to watch the video by Linus Orkson on his channel uh, Lift Cryo um, because this thing is nuts. In a good way. Once again, Sid is doing all the singing. Uh, The right-hand CC64 is for melody, while the left one is for chords, and the bellows actually do control the volume. But there's more. You can even program loops on it and add percussion and all sorts of crazy things like that. Um, Linus has given us some permission to include some visuals and audio, so assuming Duncan has worked his magic, here's a quick snippet for your listening pleasure of a Sid-powered accordion in action (音楽) music
2: Dave, I'll start with you, actually. Uh, What do you think? I think it's ridiculous. It's a totally stupid idea, and he's he's gone and actually seen it through, and it's turned out to be magic. Um, The whole time, you can tell that he knows that, yes, it is a stupid idea, but, yes, it's going to be a lot of fun, too, and he can actually get a musical result out of it. Um, No one daft enough to want to do this should also be clever enough to do it. (laughs) Um, <laughs> you would think that the, the set of people who would want to do this are not the set of people who could pull it off, but he does. Um, when you mention SID, I, I want to point out SID for people who aren't aware, the Commodore sixty four has a, has a wonderful a wonderful chip in it called the SID chip, and that's where the, the the crunchy bassy music you hear from a Commodore sixty four comes from. So when you hear SID, when you hear Chris talking about SID, that's what he means. Um, for some reason, accordions were also popular in Scotland and uh, oh. not just France. Um, they were a big deal here when I was growing up. Um, Scottish country dancing was a mm-hmm. thing, and y- 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 they seemed to rely on them. Jimmy Shand and his band, for example. Now we're going to do the Gay Garden, here we go. That kind of thing. Um, and I know that one of my mates growing up and one of my cousins, who's, who's actually sadly passed away, they both played the accordion. But I don't think they mentioned it once they stopped playing, and that would be about 30 years ago. I think Scottish country dancing just stopped all of a sudden and people just pretended not to have heard anything about it or done anything about it just pretended (laughs) it wasn't a thing. But that's where accordions were. But this accordion sounds better than they ever did, Chris. Yeah,
1: yeah, 100%. Neil, what do you you reckon?
2: Well, if you're talking
1: about uh, the use of accordion, it always
0: reminds me of the band Counting Crows. They always seem to have an accordion somewhere going on in the background. Um, I just want to read you something from his uh, blog because it just kind of highlights how mental he is. Um, Talking about the bellows in particular, he's talking about the creation of the bellows. He says, one approach was inspired by the fuel injection systems used in cars. You attach a temperature sensor to a heating element, then you create a feedback loop to keep them at a constant temperature. If the air is still, most of the heat stays near the heating element. But if the air moves more, but if the air moves, more energy is needed to stay warm. Anybody who lives in a chilly, windy place will know. By measuring how much electric power the system is consuming, you can work out the airflow. He goes on to say, it sounds convoluted, but I figured that if car engines rely on this technique, it probably works. And I actually managed to build a working prototype. Unfortunately, it didn't respond to changes in airflow quickly enough for musical articulation. My prototype ran at a temperature of around 50 degrees C, and I suspect that it would have responded faster if I had increased the working temperature. But I was worried I'd end up burning myself or starting a fire. (laughs) so those those floppy disks in the in the bellows were taking 50 degrees of heat at some point That's um, and obviously changed his approach now when i first saw this i looked at it and i thought that looks really cool i didn't realize that it was actually using the sid chip uh, yeah. is when i played the video and heard it, it was like this is a, this is completely bonkers um it's the kind of thing that i would love to see rock up at an expo i would love to see someone come on and Knock out two or three tunes. It might get a bit tedious after two or three tunes, but two or three tunes as, as a little highlight. I would like that a lot. Um, or let's lend it to Weird Owl. Al. Weird Owls appeared on our show when we were talking about pinball machines before. Um, we talked about his his new pinball machine. Um, so I'd love to what see that in his duet? hands. A duet? A duet with, with the- Banjo I Nayoli. Mean. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Get him over to Amiga Island with it. The, the Commodore. I keep want to call, wanting to call it the Commodorian, but it's it's the Commodore Dean, which is quite hard to say. Commodore uh,
1: yeah. Give it Chris, the extra D. I know who to give it to. And they're from your neck of the woods, Dave. They're from Scotland. There's a band called Ailstorm. Don't know if you've heard of them. Yep. They're a pirate yeah. metal band. I heard band. them, but not heard them. They're a pirate metal band, and they do feature accordion in their music. And they also have done chip tunes in their music as well. So let's combine the two; that would be fantastic. Nice,
0: <laughs> nice. And uh, oh, there's another band called Hacy Dixie, who do sort yes. of ACDC, mm. yeah, hillbilly <laughs> covers. Get them involved as well. We're creating the perfect supergroup here.
3: Nice, <laughs> Ross. <laughs> absolutely right and i think um you've kind of knocked the nail on the head there neil i think all these bands you think hey see dixie oh, that sounds a brilliant idea after a couple of songs you've probably you've probably heard everything <laughs> they've got to give and i imagine it's the, the same with this but uh, chris i did i did watch this video that you, you shared about this um at first i went in thinking this sounds like a ridiculous idea i can't wait confirmed that it was a ridiculous idea but it sounds absolutely fantastic i yeah, what a guy! Absolutely brilliant. I mean, when I first thought of it, I thought, what, "How, how does somebody look at a C64 and think that could be an accordion?" Hmm. I need two. Let's figure it out. I also need a big pile of floppy disks. <laughs> Absolutely crazy, but hats off to the guy. This is you know, people like this keep the world turning. Absolutely brilliant. It's so true. And uh, What I love
1: about this guy, he's, he's clearly a you know, lot of technical knowledge, but he's a fantastic musician as well. So you mm. know, with each instrument he's created, and clearly this isn't his first, we know of at least two, he then goes and performs a piece with it and it sounds great. Neil? Yeah,
0: and the SID chip, wherever you hear it, it's so distinctive, even when it's being distorted and played with, you just know that that is the sound of a SID chip. Um, it, and it pops up from time to time. I can't remember if he actually used... A real SID chip, or if it was just a, you know, a simulated chip tune style, was um, who was it? saying, Candy Shop? Uh, was it Fifty Cent? Some years back, he did a he did a song that had chip tune in it, and, and it just, I don't know if it's just because of us and our upbringing and our background with retro machines. Um, or if it applies to everyone else, but it just stands out so well. To hear it once in a while, again, as Ross said, not all the time, but to hear it yep. pop up once in a while in in pop culture,
1: it's just a really nice reminder of what a great chip it is. Um, if you if you want to see how this thing works, you'll need to check out the video and the blog part. Uh, seriously do. It's it's just worth checking out, seeing this thing being played and hearing the music that he churns out with it, but even more fascinating seeing and reading about how he puts it together. Um, Oz Retro Cup, comp brought this to our attention in the subreddit and this is the second time we've seen um and featured at linus's work and well i've now subscribed to his channel because i want to be among the first to see what he does next maybe a c64 into it in a melodica or a harmonica or or bagpipes who knows neil any ideas Uh, Well,
0: uh, I was just getting back to the 50 Cent comment I made because I just wanted to quickly look it up and confirm. And uh, it immediately came back with a a Commodore forum where somebody says, is it just me or does the song AO Technology by 50 Cent use a SID chip? And the first reply is, Jesus Christ, please someone take the SID away from this idiot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Not impressed in the Commodore forums. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, we are certainly impressed with Linus's work in case anybody confuses those two. Yeah, no, great stuff. Check it out.
2: Submitted to the subreddit by RMC Retro, whoever that is. Really? Um, yes. You submitted this story, Neil. This, In fact, I this know. this is pretty much your ideal episode. We've got we've got this story and we've got B-17. What more could you want? Oh, In fact, yeah. we could we could uh, get rid of uh, Chris's story and put an Ultima story and then it'd be perfect. Oh, that would be perfect.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, Chris. Ultima. <laughs> we want more Ultima. We want an Ultima story for you next week, Chris. I've never played that. <laughs> well, that's your quick... Your, your task for next week's recording is to play through every Ultima game and complete I, play, them. I played Rise um, of the Robots. Um, producer duncan
0: if you haven't already started doing this can you clip every time chris says i haven't played that so we can have the i haven't played that super cut. mega <laughs> mix yeah, yeah. <laughs> the list of all the
3: games
1: <laughs> <laughs> actually i could see that i can play that in my head already i can see that working
2: <laughs> sorry sorry we're, we're getting off in um in tangents yeah. here. yeah come on, this is important because time... i submitted this story so
0: this is, this is really important yeah. Yeah, let's go <laughs>
2: It did, get, it did get enough upvotes to get talked about. If I went back in time and I asked 15-year-old you to draw a fast car, I know what it would look like. And I know what colour it would be. The car is pretty unique. It's rubbish for bringing the shopping in. It does surprisingly get miles to the gallon in double digits. It gets 11 miles to the gallon. It's a famous car. It is the Ferrari Testarossa Spider. But you may not realise that the car didn't really exist... The Ferrari Testarossa certainly did. Uh, The F110 is a 12-cylinder mid-engine sports car made in 1984, and almost 10,000 of them were made. But only one convertible was made, and that is the Ferrari Testarossa Spider that you see in OutRun, except it isn't. The one-off car was made for uh, Gianni Agnelli, who I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, who was the boss of Fiat at the time, to celebrate 20 years in charge. So why did I say why did I say it doesn't exist? Well, the, the 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 single Ferrari Testarossa Spider that was officially made was made in silver, not red. It was made in silver of all colours. You could, however, get your Testarossa converted to a Spider, and any time you see a red one, it's because that's that's usually what's happened to it. Um, but in this story, the one is even more special than the conversion um, because um, it's submitted no other by Neil himself. So if I didn't cover it, I felt he'd probably make me go in the box again and he would hurt me again. Um, So no matter what I say, I expect Neil has lots to say about the car, in particular about a certain arcade cab that I know he's fond of. Neil, um, limit it to 15 minutes, please.
0: (laughs) Well, I do find it odd that uh, Dave is leading a story on OutRun when Chris is the one who's obsessed with Ferraris um he's obsessed with the Ferrari that he nearly bought. He keeps telling us back in the day. Um, and I'm the one that's obsessed with OutRun, so it makes no sense. But um, I, I actually submitted it because I was interested to hear what Chris might have to say on it, because, knowing that he knows his Ferraris. I mean, I've learned something already from your intro, though, Dave. Uh, the F110, was that the official name of the Testarossa? Yep. yep. Okay, that's so that was like the model yeah. number or something, was it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like um, B17. So this particular car, the reason we're talking about it is because it's come up for auction, you know, not just that it's uh, one of a kind. The silver one that you mentioned, I think, was only ever made and used in the factory. Is that right? I think I read that somewhere. Um, So this red official one that was actually converted by Ferrari, because, again, I'm I'm assuming here that the other conversions was not done by Ferrari um i'll come on to that but yeah you're, you're not oh you'll right. come yeah, on, come to, on that. to that and when i've seen conversions done in the past that were not done by ferrari often ferrari will actually ask them to remove the badges and um sometimes destroy some of the documents that they keep for them they, they basically disown the ferrari as no longer being a ferrari um so often that that happens um But yeah, this is a really special one. As I said, I'm sure Chris will be able to point out some of the technical reasons why this is a bit different in its design or or not. Um, But as a man who never owned and is likely to never own a Ferrari, like most of us listening, I'm sure, um, I can really step back and appreciate The look of this. Um, I think it's a timeless design. I think the drop top looks beautiful. I I can't believe they never manufactured this thing properly because there would have been a huge demand for it, especially when you compare it to some of the things that came later um, in Ferraris. Uh, What did you have? There was an F50, but I don't think that was an official conversion. Chris might be able to correct me. I,
1: I know there was one, but I think it was very much like this Testarossa. Chris? I can't remember with the F50s. I think it was more of a target than a convertible, but I can't remember. The one that springs to mind, though, is the Ferrari 348, which is Uh, not one of the most loved Ferraris, but it's when you look at it, it's a baby Testarossa. It's got those strakes down the side. It's got the same style rear headlights, which are not very Ferrari-esque when you look at all their other lineup. And they did officially do... Um, drop tops for that and they're gorgeous looking they're fantastic
0: so that's the closest you could get to the outrun Mm. car officially without Mm. owning this one car that dave will fill us in on shortly yeah and the f50 was a terrible car anyway Um, It it does make you think a bit, though, about the design decisions that were made in OutRun. Um, They modelled the car in OutRun on a Ferrari car that didn't exist. So clearly when they made the game, they were decided that for the sake of the game, it would be better if the player could see the driver and the passenger in the car. And I think that was absolutely the right choice because it injects some personality into the game. And it makes you care a little bit about the passengers rather than it just being a piece of metal a soulless car you've got a couple of people in there who you uh, you want to guide to safety through the game so i like that they made that decision i think it was the right one
2: neil do you think next time you play Outrun in the cave which will be the next time you're in the cave i'm sure later today uh, yeah because you <laughs> yeah um do you think that you might set the car color to be silver mm.
0: oh that's a good question because we've got that option on the smarty pie to change
2: the color of the yeah. car yeah. maybe that would be so more I was authentic. Thinking, as a rightness, I was thinking, yeah, you could, nice. you could drive in a in a silver car and then decide, yeah. no, it should be red. Yeah, no, I won't be um, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it will stay red. <laughs> yeah. So this particular car is a Pininfarina conversion. Am I pronouncing that right? Chris? I think so.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a Good. word I struggle Good. with as well. And yeah.
2: <laughs> so in case you don't know why that makes it special. Pininfarina are the Italian design company that that designed the Testarossa for Ferrari. And in fact, since 1951, Pininfarina have worked in partnership with Ferrari to design almost all of their cars, although that seems to have come to a stop since 2018. So while this isn't an official Ferrari car, it kind of sort of is because of all the conversions done, the ones that were done by Pininfarina, they designed the car, Ferrari made it, it then went back to Perinfarina, and they then converted it to um, the Spider. So it's kind of officially, a, yeah, I mean, it's as legitimate as you're ever going to get for one of these. Uh, now, Ross, would you drive to work in one of these, or something more practical like a Dacia Sandero? <laughs>
3: Well, um, you know, Dave, Dave, I'm not I'm not a car person in the slightest, I think it's probably fair to say, but I do absolutely love arcade racing games. And, yeah, there's a handful of cars that are iconic. And, of course, the OutRun car is absolutely iconic. So if you're asking me would I drive it to work, of course I'd drive it to work. I mean, why wouldn't, <laughs> just, despite it being completely impractical, uh, despite not being able to get any of my stuff in the boot or anything like that, um, who on earth would turn down the opportunity to, to drive to work with this with course magical sound shower blasting out in the yes. stereo and perhaps i could get neil sat in the passenger seat with a blonde wig in there for <laughs> me as well to, to finish the illusion but yeah of course i'll drive it to work i would drive it everywhere i'd never leave it of course i would
2: now the original one sold for one million dollars that's the silver one sold for a million dollars in 2016 but this one is nicer because it's red and this one actually was now up for auction it um when Neil submitted the story, it was good up for auction. The auction's now finished. I'll keep the, the, the figure secret. But oh, I Chris, don't, I don't how much will it, it sell for?
0: I don't know the figure. I really wanna hit I really wanna know how much this sold for. I, yeah. I know the figure. I'll come oh. to it. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry.
2: No, I'm going I
1: know you're gonna hazard again. I wouldn't be surprised in the current climate if it
2: went. The on. nearest thousand, please.
1: Uh, oh no, I'm not gonna I'm just gonna say around million. I don't I don't I don't A million. Yeah, yeah. We'll come to it later. We'll come to it later. Um but, yeah, no, this is going to sell for lots and lots, more than any of us can afford, I think. Um, but, look, I'm going to raise it. This is not the OutRun car. Even Top Gear on their online blog referred to it as the OutRun car being up for sale. It's not It's not the right car. It's and the I'll, we'll I'll, get. I'll bore you oh, with well the reason why. Okay, here we <laughs> go. So, the OutRun car, um, it actually has two what they call flying mirrors. So, when the Testrosser first came out, it had a really ugly, it was actually an ugly car for this one reason. It had a, a high-flying mirror that was pretty much halfway up the front um, pillar on the windscreen um, and only on one side, only on the driver's side, because they, they, they thought that's what they needed to meet the requirements for having 100% rear visibility. That was, of course, ugly. So what customers started doing was adding a second mirror. Therefore, if you see a car with two flying mirrors, that's a customization. Ferrari later changed the style and went down to two lower slung mirrors like you expect to see on a car so that's one difference i'm spotting the other difference i'm spotting is the engine cover um which is obviously basically the rear boot on a ferrari because the engines at the back on the one in uh, in outrun it's the original engine cover that you'd see on the hard top whereas the P- P- uh, pinaferina one is actually a redesigned engine cover the slats going a totally different way it doesn't have that iconic sort of black slats going around the this sort of red raised pop-up um that goes over the engine so a completely different look to it so for those two reasons alone, but then you get into the argument of, well, are you talking about the sprites in the game or the uh, or the artwork on the side of the arcade cab? Because on the side of the arcade cab, I mean, one of the things that makes the Testarossa most iconic is those streaks on the engine intakes up the side doors, and on the on the sprites in the game, they are there. On the arcade cabinet artwork, they're not, Neil. Sorry, I was just going to say I, I didn't realise we'd booked James May on the show this week. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, I can't help it. I can't help it. But, um, I've actually owned, I've owned a car from a game, um, and maybe this is a interesting subtopic. Chase Porsche HQ. Man, Chase. Yeah. I knew, do you know what? I thought somebody might come up with that. <laughs> no, I was not a postman. No, Chase HQ two special criminal investigation. Do you know what car that featured? Well, it would have been a Porsche. You had the nine nine.
0: 924 in the first one? Is that a Porsche? Am I making numbers up?
1: Was it 914? You, I'll give you a hands 944. So four. The, the first, no, no. <laughs> so the first Chase HQ was a Porsche 928. 928. Second Close. Chase HQ was not a Porsche. It was oh, something far uh, less exciting.
0: Was it like a <laughs> Mazda RX-7 or a something? A Sierra Cosworth? Yeah, you're kind of in the right
1: ballpark, Neil. It, it, was, it was, was a black a, one. It was a Nissan. Sorry. It was a it was, one. a it was a red one. It was <laughs> Nissan. It was red. It was actually red, Dave. It was a Nissan 300ZX. That's what it was. That's uh, why uh, your, your passenger could pop out and shoot the bad guys through the target top so but it wasn't licensed it didn't have the nissan badge on it no i I doubt it did i doubt it i don't think they were big on that back then were they Uh, mine was mine was the wrong color wasn't the same color mine was sort of gunmetal and it was the wrong number of seats because i had the two plus two and it had an ugly body kit on it as well so actually it was nothing like the car in the game apart from the fact that it was the same (laughs) did you catch any criminals Oh, all the time. All I did was go up and yeah. down the highway trying to smash into people in other sports cars. And, yeah. <laughs> Which, of but, course, and pressing, is the
3: most efficient way of catching criminals. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and pressing buttons
1: yeah. on my dash, assuming they'd give me turbo boost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work for some reason, even though it was a twin turbo. Um, but, okay, let's go back to the OutRun Rosser, as I've now nicknamed it. Um, it would actually be cool, I think, to see if there is a matching one. Does it actually exist? So if we stick to the Sprite rendition, because that's what most of us think of, so we're looking for an original engine cover on it, two flying mirrors, um, one on either side, and the side strakes in place, and of course in red, I think it would be interesting to see if that car exists at all anywhere on the planet. That would be awesome. Maybe that's a bit of a job for the community to go hunting and see if we can find it.
2: Well, I'm not in any way a Ferrari or car expert, but when I did look into this a bit, I found out that just removing the stuff to make it a convertible car affected the the structural integrity and the maximum speed and so on. So I think any modifications were made to make the car a little bit safer once they'd removed all that um, material that, that 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 did help the structure of it. So I think the actual OutRun game cosmetically just removed it from the sprite and just made it, this is what it would look like if all that was missing and that's all. Um, but I don't think you could actually get that in real life. Neil?
0: Um, I just read when I read the story the other day. I I seem to remember it done under five hundred miles. This particular car Mm. is that right? Uh, Yeah, I've I've got it here. Two hundred and sixty miles in its entire life. This car's done. That's crazy. I mean, it's it's almost sad, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. It's a waste. Mm. It's sad that this car's been driven so little.
2: I mean, you'd do that in the first two hours of owning it.
0: It might, it might do that getting from the garage to your house being delivered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although I'm sure it would go with well, a truck being Ferrari.
2: On Saturday, the 5th of November, it sold for £1,467,500, uh, which in dollars is probably about $1,600. <laughs> yeah, about yeah. the same, yeah. Thanks very much yeah. for that one. Um, <laughs> I can reveal that of the four of us here, none of us actually bought it. Um, (laughs) Sure. So that means it must have been Duncan. Duncan, enjoy the new car.
0: Time now for our community question of the week. So let's just go over last week's question. We were talking about um, video game based TV shows. In particular, it was Bad Influence last week. We also mentioned Games Master. So the question that we posed on our subreddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, if you'd like to participate in the question and also submit any stories that you might like us to talk about. That is the place to do it. And the question was, the UK had a fairly decent array of TV shows dedicated to computers, consoles, games, and tech in general. But we want to hear about the shows we didn't get to see in the UK. Did your country have an equivalent to Games Master, Bad Influence, Bits, or Tomorrow's World? Tell us what you most remember about them and if they were any good or not. Um, Before we go into the answers, I think Ross has got an answer of his own. Ross, what, what was your thoughts on this?
3: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I've um, lived in the UK all my life, so obviously growing up with Games Master and Bad Influence, and I've just recently finished the Games Master book that's uh, recently been released, and it's absolutely brilliant, highly recommended Mm -hmm. there. But um, uh, yeah, I I don't know if you had any mentions for Games World, which was um, on Sky One. Um, Now, I thought this was a a great program. So if you're not familiar with it, basically it took the challenges from Games Master and expanded them to... and it expanded throughout the week because it was on every, the show was on every night of the week, as, as was the, the case with Sky TV at the time. So contestants would come and face the Vidiators, um, which were the the, the games-playing experts, which we now know to be journalists and people who were working on magazines at the time. Uh, it was hosted by Bob Mills, who was our host. Uh, knew nothing about video games, but absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. host. He absolutely brilliant. And he also had Jet from the Gladiators, who was the, oh. the games mistress, which... There you go. So, Jet Why from the did uh, I never get sky? Yeah, she was a Gamesmith, <laughs> just dressed in a scantily clad leather outfit, giving the games advice and tips to uh, to young boys. So, yeah, it was an absolutely fantastic show. It also featured a young David Walliams, um, which oh. I imagine he would say was his favourite role he's ever played, but we might need mm-hmm. to check on that one. And um, he was Big, Bar- Big Boy Barry's. Was- what was that, sorry, Dave? was he the same character that he normally puts on when he's on telly yeah he's yeah he's he was yeah it's just a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a soppy kind of character to to big boy barry his big boy barry's assistant i remember him having uh, things like a, a poly pocket purse and things like that so he's, yeah. <laughs> bit of a soppy character but yeah it was a great program and um, yeah it launched the career of some of my big boy Barry who in the games world if you you know big boy Barry I met him a few years ago he's an absolutely fantastic bloke so yeah games world is my my pick just just slightly picking before games mastery in, in my my world yeah Okay, Ross's claim to fame. I've met Big Boy Barry. I um, I I,
0: I met Big Boy Barry an expo a few years back, but before the pandemic, when um, whoever was booked to host this particular panel had to cancel at the last minute. I think there was a train cancellation or something, and they somehow managed to get hold of Big Boy, Boy Barry, and he turned up at short notice, and he absolutely smashed this panel. He was like probably the best host of the whole weekend. It was fantastic. So, um, he still got it. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
3: Still so want rather our... meet
0: Jet. You'd still rather meet Jet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's get your answers then because I'm fascinated to hear uh, what you were watching around the world. The top answer is from Mystic Greg and he says, Beyond 2000 was awesome here in Australia. As a kid in the 80s, hearing about awesome technology like video phones and robotics used to blow my mind. Watching that show as a kid definitely had an impact on my future career choices. And then uh, somebody, um, Shishak. Shishakli replies and that intro with um with a link to the intro now i've clicked that and watched it fantastic 80s synth music um with this intro uh very 80s set when it when you get into the show itself reminds me of tomorrow's world i guess they're talking about driverless trains and things like that not just video games Uh, but um it's worth clicking just to enjoy that music and Oh, Sorry. somebody's clicked on it. I can hear it It my it's Chris. Because
2: <laughs> <laughs> you let us all down.
0: <laughs> and um, yeah, they, they kind of backed themselves into a corner, though. They they clearly weren't expecting to make that TV show past the year 2000 with the title, like, Beyond <laughs> 2000.
2: <laughs> um, who wants to read the next answer? Osprey Shower says, I loved any show that featured computers and technology, but my earliest memory of a mainstream show, including computer games, was a children's quiz show that a bit of googling tells me was called First Class. Uh, the episode below includes 720 skateboarding, but my main memory of this would it would include Paperboy. I, I do vaguely remember First Class. Um, I, I guess that well, that predates um, Games Master and all the rest of it, and it was a bit of a younger audience. The presenter. Who was the presenter first class?
0: Well the one linked oh, is nineteen eighty eight. So um there's that and then there's Deborah Greenwood pops up at the start. Was that the presenter? Oh Debbie Greenwood, yes, that's right. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. Debbie Greenwood, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. She predates Jet for me. Um yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that was that that was definitely before Games Master and so and so. I, I def, definitely a different feel to it than than, than Games Master and all the rest of it.
0: Yeah, I think the thing I remember most from that show was the track and field competitions. I remember because I loved track and field back in the day, or it might have been hyper sports. It was one of the two. Um, but the way that the screen is laid out, it's almost like University Challenge. You've got the kids at the top yeah. in their big chairs, and then the game at the bottom. It's uh, it's a fun. Did watch. they compete um, as schools? Oh, yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think that might be worth um, a revisit. Um, we, we mentioned Rose Tinted Spectrum last week and he was covering off the Bad Influence shows. Uh, maybe he'd like to do some of his sarcastic commentary over first class for a, for a <laughs> series. There you go. You can have that
1: idea. Um, uh, Chris, do you want to read out the third answer? Yeah, well, the third answer I might, might have to jump into the fourth as well because the third answer is actually Evan B. Thompson saying not quite a TV show, but it was on the telly. Was Digitizer on Teletext, uh, which is the best thing on the service. So yeah, yeah, bit bit cheating there, but we'll take it. So we'll also also include... in the UK.
0: I mean, I think everyone yeah. in the UK liked to check Digitizer before they went to school um, on yeah. on Teletext. Um, yeah. But yeah, the last two have been from the UK. So I want I, I need
1: two more non UK shows to so... uh, educate us. ProTech 438 in Finland, we have, yes, still have it, uh, still have Tilt, a video and computer game show which has been running since 1997 on different channels. Its first host, um, I'm going to mispronounce these, so sorry, uh, Jana Polkinen is currently a member of the Finnish Parliament. Other notable hosts include Sarah Shafak, who is a former Miss Finland. Fantastic.
0: Wonderful Finnish pronunciation. As you were talking there, again, the the great thing about this thread on our subreddit is there's lots of links to these shows, so I could just click on Tilt and watch it there and um, see what was going on there. Again, one to go back and watch a bit later. Um... Uh, Ross, have you got the page open that we're reading through here on our subreddit or not? I, I haven't, no. Sorry. Don't worry, don't worry. I just wanted to get one more in. So um, I'll read this one out then. Uh, it's from Moivore. It says, uh, I'm in Ireland. And in the early 80s, we had a quiz show loosely based around microcomputers called Murphy's Micro Quiz M. Uh, One of the parts of the quiz was where contestants had to play a video game. And then there's a link to a full episode from 1983 and says you'll (laughs) see um, lots of background pictures which were done by computers for prizes like Atari 2600. As a kid, I watched this and dreamed of being on it and winning some of the computer gaming prizes they had um and then he also mentions bbc micros are involved so there you go in ireland murphy's micro qm uh just scanning through we've got a mention in norway of spider we've got a mention of what else have we got here uh, bits on channel four um someone mentions bamboozle which was the other page you check on teletext mm. after digitizer that was just a, a quiz wasn't really about video games games world in germany from 1994
3: to 1995 short lived uh yeah ross uh, i see somebody's mentioned um hugo hugo the troll uh, which was um one of their channels in was it norway i think i saw there of course we had hugo the troll in in the UK, with going live or live and kicking, where kids would phone in and play uh, the video game via their telephone keypads. That's right. Ah, nice. So it's a bit of a tenuous link there as well, yeah. I had an email
0: from someone recently, um, and I don't know if this will evolve into an episode at some point, but um, they mentioned that they were one of the programmers on a game called Wiz and Liz, which was published by Psygnosis back in the day. And they mentioned that they've also still got the, the I think, the source code, they said, or at least the program of the custom version that they used to make for TV shows so that they could hook it into cell keypads or whatever so who knows, maybe that will progress into um, some way of me allowing you to play <laughs> Wiz and Liz via Twitch. That, that could be a good goal, some live Wiz and Liz playing, although there's a huge delay on Twitch, so I'm not quite sure how that, that will work. <laughs> anyway, other shows mentioned Starkade in the US. Now I have seen that one. Um, uh, almost gets a bit cultish at times from my memories with kids like singing in a choir and things like that. I'm sure that's what i saw there's i'm sure there was like a dance troupe involved in starcade or something i might be making that up but um, i'm going to have to go back and watch that one bits and bites um in canada and uh, we'll go we'll finish with one more which was shown in the uk do you remember movies games and videos on itv i think that was yeah. on a saturday i mean it wasn't a great show but you know it, it was kind of um it was like the itv chart
3: show but for
0: movies games and videos
3: Ross? Yeah, I remember that, and I remember them pretty much saying that every game was fantastic. Every game was a nine out of ten game that they reviewed on there. <laughs> so yeah, that that was movies, games, and videos. But Dang. I still watched this, yeah, because obviously being the, the the you know the amount of programs that we had with, uh, related to video games was quite small comparatively. So you know, you you took it where you could.
0: You clung on to every snippet of mm-hmm. uh, video game coverage that you could get hold of. Now, um, we've got a a question of the week for you this week, which ties in with our outrun Ferrari story. And um, Chris mentioned it with Chase HQ there. Um, If you could pick any car from any retro video game, what would it be and why? Or maybe you've owned one. Tell us all about it. Um, We'd we'd love to hear that. I had a visitor to the cave this weekend on our public day, um, unexpectedly. Um, It was the YouTube channel Big Car. Uh, I don't know if any of you watch that. It does fantastic uh, documentaries about the history of um, cars. Just done a really great one about the Ford Fiesta, which has been discontinued now or is being discontinued. And uh, a lot of people saw the picture that we put out together and said, oh, you guys should do a collaboration. So actually, I think the topic could be video game cars would be a really good collaboration to do. So I'll be watching your replies with interest to get some inspiration and some ideas for your favorite cars in video games don't even have to be your favorites you can throw in some rubbish ones as well if you like um yeah i was going to throw one in but i don't want to ruin anyone else's answers take it away from mm. them because i've got a few yeah. in my head so we'll talk about our answers next week as well as always thank you to everyone for uh, for watching ross thank you again um is there anywhere people can go and follow your obsession with rise of the robots or anything else you do for that matter
3: well you can follow me on twitter uh, i am the xbox vision on twitter for i i, I had actually i did think i changed my name to ross of the robots on twitter but um <laughs> that that's good of, i've been the Xbox it, Vision you, for a good, good few years yeah i, I need a, a good old rebrand <laughs> not that i want to become pigeonholed or anything like that you understand yeah but, uh, yeah so that's where you can find me on twitter anyway there you go yeah excellent uh any final words from you dave before we
0: close the show
2: yeah um I noticed that uh, one of my favorite podcasts, DOS Game Club, which is a a fantastic podcast, they go really deep into old DOS games, two and three hour episodes. They come out once a month, usually when they're in time. But I noticed just a total coincidence with Ross coming on this show. I noticed that the game of the month that they're all going to play through and then record a podcast is the famous robot fighting game. So I thought that's quite appropriate for Ross. Yeah, they're doing one Must Fall 2097. There it is.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: the classic <laughs> robot fighting game. I mean, come on, who's heard of that, really? Honestly.
0: <laughs> Chris, anything from you? I see you've, you've got a picture of a Porsche behind you there. I've got to ask about that. Was that your Porsche that you referenced well, earlier? We were talking about cars.
1: Look, yeah, it is. That was your like one, that, was then. it? Yeah, yeah, that's mine. Not was, still is. Yeah, yeah, Still is. And Neil, you got a picture
2: to... of a dinosaur behind you.
1: Oh yes! <laughs> on. No, no. He's now in his Ferrari, sitting in his Ferrari. Don't, he don't bought it. it, Duncan. Too much work. <laughs> Neil bought the.
0: Uh, Put me back in my B seventeen cockpit, please, Duncan. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you same time next week. Take care. Bye bye. Have a
2: lovely weekend. Bye Thank like. you.
0: Bye.
1: This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you
0: enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.